You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 357 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. Uh, taking the show on the road quite literally today. This is Seth. I'm driving a crew of journalists back from the Breeze Airways A220 unveiling. Uh, joined in the car by Chris Sloan. Chris? Hello, and you're also joined by Siri, who will be interrupting with yes. GPS navigation. We might get a couple instructions on how to get back to the airport. Um, oh, forgot, Zach Griff from the Point Sky. Zach, how you doing? Good. Thanks for uh, driving. Hope uh, everyone can listen to this. That means we don't crash. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben, I forgot your last name. Ben goes for Aviation Week. For Aviation Week. So uh, we were amongst the crew that got to come down to Mobile, Alabama. Uh, Roll Tide. Oh, really? Sorry. You're going to do that to me? Get out of the car. Okay. <laughs> Tuck and roll. No. So we got to come down here and see the A220 unveiling. And so obviously the livery, we all already knew that it actually looks really nice. The blue, blue, fully you know, blue aircraft. It's not a typical white Eurotail, whatever. But then we got to go inside and learn a little bit about what the cabin is going to be. And I think some really interesting developments there. So what do you think, Chris? Well, it looked like a, an A220 inside. Unlike any other A220, though. What was different about than any other A220? Way more seats. Or way fewer seats. Way more well, business class a huge seats. business class cabin. That was yeah. quite something. All the way up to the emergency exit, pretty much. Yeah, so it's nine rows of business class, 36 uh, seats. And that's, that's a lot of premium capacity. Um, Especially in markets where there hasn't been uh, necessarily a lot of PDs. They're going to be stimulating a lot of unusual traffic. Yeah. But, I mean, at least in my perspective, right, you know, listening to, to Nealman, it's a $50 upcharge and it's kind of hit the target, right, for, for first class. And with those seats compared to what it looks like back in coach, I would certainly be willing to spend 50 bucks so, for, you know, a four-hour flight. Right, and I 100% agree with you on that. It's The recline is huge. Leg rest, I don't really care about. I find it awkward, but it's there for people who sort of like to like it. Like, all of those things are perfect in my mind and why you would sort of, you would pay up for it. I also say, like, the coach wasn't that bad. Yeah. Uh, but it almost comes across as big front seat. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Right? right. In the spirit context, except uh, Breeze is also talking about premium beverage and food. You get an extra checked bag. It's Party not boarding. And free Wi-Fi, which is nice. Yeah. They, made, they made the point. Whenever that actually happens. Yeah. We were talking afterwards. They made the point that it was, though it's not necessarily a different fare class, that they've discovered that everybody really does want the fun thing. Yeah. So it's not out-car pricing like big front seat where you're just buying the seats. You are buying additional amenities. Yeah, and it's the bundle, I think, is two checked bags, uh, better food, free Wi-Fi, you said, uh, more points. You get six breeze points per dollar spent instead of two, which is the base level. And four is the middle. And four is the middle one, right? It's nice, nicer, and nicest, right? So we're talking about nicest here. I think what's... So there's the cynic in it. The cynical view is there's no way they can actually sell 140 seats or 135 seats on these routes, so they drop the total number of seats, and they're hoping to make it up in ancillaries. And... I'm kind of okay with that, right? I mean, especially if I get a decent, uh, comfortable seat for less money. But yeah, do you get the feeling like, I mean, they, right, they said uh, load factors are up, but also like they had nowhere to go but up because they were pretty We don't low know what the numbers start. are, yeah. Yeah, this is like from what base? <laughs> um, An improvement over the 5% on the inaugural when you were on. Right, I mean, well, it was a little more than that. Well, um, they filled it up with a lot of media. Yeah, and the second flight from Charleston to Hartford was even with media who wanted on board. What do you think? Like, I thought it was interesting, and I don't think you buy it, but the whole notion of they kept emphasizing they can reconfigure on a date because the plane's flying variable flying. They're 
you know, I thought that was pretty fascinating that they're going to actually take a brand new aircraft like a 20 and perhaps only fly it four to five days a week and then use those days potentially to reconfigure. But then you have a crazy, yeah, have I, a crazy checkerboard of talk about lack of harmonization in the fleet. Yeah, I, I, I understand the concept of the variable. So I think it's two things. I think the variable flying is one thing, and I think uh, by day of week, and I think the fleet reconfiguration is separate. I don't think they're going to do that on a day to day or week to week basis. But I think they can do that. But you wonder if these are going to be based on a certain market. They may say, you know what, all the aircraft out of the New Orleans base don't have the pre- as much the premium traffic, so we'll configure them differently. Right. Then we yeah. go somewhere else. And it's going to be interesting, right? There was some, uh, was it Lucas Johnson, is the chief commercial officer, right? He said a couple times, oh, we might actually have some of our stuff fly uh, between the uh, overlapping on existing routes, between the existing bases, sort of for utilization flying or repositioning. So, and, I mean, that was a lot, though, at the beginning, he said, until there was a, you know, a critical mass, a critical mass of, of planes. Yeah. So, I mean, in that context, it really sort of does make sense that they could get a bunch of these configured, and they could have the New Orleans configuration versus the Charleston configuration yeah. versus the Norfolk configuration or whatever. Um, I think that that's still a level of complexity. I mean, right, we're already talking about basically running two airlines um, within within a single company, so maybe that's an extra, extra level of complexity they don't really need. Well, I think the point you got, you were trying to get clarification on was if they've sold all the regular seats, will they automatically just push people into them? They, they were, yeah. They were pretty, pretty adamant about not, not. right? Yeah, and I, I asked if they would, you know, if we're going to sell 126 seats in economy and hop up anyone who doesn't buy uh, the premium uh, fare, the premium bundle, and both uh, Lucas and Dave Nealman were pretty explicit of, you know, we don't want upgrade lists. It's not going to be a loyalty thing. And if we can't, it's just a matter of setting the right price point. Right? If, if it's not selling at $50, which is the number he said several times, uh, maybe we have to sell it at $25. Uh, maybe because it's a right down flight. to departure, right? But right up to departure. Right? I don't do like an Emirates auction or a Qatar yeah. auction or something. The reverse auction at the, the, reverse at the auction. gate. Yeah. I, I cannot imagine that they're going to like oh, you didn't buy a seat assignment, sorry, you don't get to fly, but I do think... The holding back inventory, that's kind of crazy, kind of yeah. wild. I mean, that you can see Spirit doing that when you're only talking about eight big front seats, right? right. But this is a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah, it's a lot of... I understand the concept. It's a lot of seats to be playing games like this with, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how successful they are at that. Um, I'm, I don't want to say skeptical. I'm sort of generally skeptical about the operation just because... Hey, is is I there, mean, you're just skeptical, period. Well, yes. Is there a crew difference? By holding down, like United with the CRJ 550, by holding down the seat count, is there a crew difference? But isn't uh, usually three, for every, three three for every 50 seats. Yeah. So, so it's on this one? It's 126 or 145 would be one, the same. Yeah, 145. So one thing that that I found interesting, right, is, is he, it's, I think it was David or, or even maybe the chief, uh, Lucas, uh, he mentioned that they're not going to staff up first class any more than you know, regulatory required, and they're going to be sharing the responsibility across the different cabins. So, you know, your forward flight attendant is going to serve both first and uh, and coach seats up in, in the back. Yeah. And well, I, what I don't know is how many crew they actually staff their flights with, typically. Um, I guess it probably has to be three anyways, because it's, I don't think, I think all their 190s and 195s are more than 100 seats. So it would be three crew at least anyways. They might, uh, Greg, on the inaugural, they had way too many crew because yeah. training and everything else, but they might be overstaffing it anyways, right? Maybe they go to four, just not necessarily for service levels, but also like if you're selling stuff on board and you need people to be able to run those transactions, mm-hmm. right, you, you go above the minimums to make sure you've got enough bodies to handle those deals. So there's good reasons for that. I 
I understand the like, I don't know if it's concern or just interesting about you know not having a dedicated first class flight attendant. Um, again, with sort of like big front seatish yeah. styling, I'm not sure that matters. It that doesn't much. feel like it's necessarily a first class. It's an, it's pretty adaptable. The difference is pretty yeah. egalitarian thing. I mean, right? Like he, he's using his JetBlue mindset. He's not putting cabin dividers. Yeah, that's our fifth uh, sponsor of the Today Show. Um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, he's not putting cabin dividers, right? So, so it's very clear that it, it is. It feels a lot like Spirit. It feels, it feels a little bit like what he did with Mint, just on a kind of domestic recliner level, uh, you know, on the A220. I think that's true. Yeah, it, I, I really like the seat, honestly. That's the other thing. I think this is the first time I've seen this, what, the Saffron C600? Yeah. Saffron, Saffron, I don't know. Um, it was a really nice layout seat for a lot of recline. I don't know, it, it felt really comfortable. So, well, I do think I thought it was pretty interesting that the uh, extended legroom cabin actually was so small. Only two rows. Only two rows. Yeah, that was. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but those are kind of the two worst. I mean, obviously, exit row, everyone has their own perspective, but you know, fixed armrests, small windows, and that. But then the row behind it, I guess it was row 11, had misaligned windows also. So you're looking out the window, and you're not going to obviously have the same view as as you would have if you were in a quote regular seat behind it. Yeah, and and, I mean, you're mostly just looking at wing anyway, so you're right at the wing. But yeah, it's interesting. The the exit row has the most legroom on the plane. Yep. And I, I think the Lofa published it like 49 inches compared to thir- or 47 inches compared to 39 for the regular uh, first class section or the nicest section. Um, and then the first row on the Lofa said it was like 22 and 29 inches or something like that or 29 and 30. It looked small on the diagram, but in reality, it was actually pretty decent spacing. So I don't think there's a bad seat there. I do agree um, the misaligned windows for the exit row and uh, other uh, extra legroom aren't great but i also kind of think like yeah they don't have as many of those because they don't want to sell that they want you to instead of buying you know a 20 dollars upgrade they want you to buy the 50 dollars upgrade yeah um and you know maybe they figure out that's a good way to well that's the question is a 50 dollars upgrade from what from nice or nicer that's a fair point uh-huh. um, yeah uh that'll be and then so you're going to start in nice and you're immediately going to get upsell for, you'll click on nicer and then they'll immediately say would you like nicest you get three upsells. Yeah. So here's the other question: is what's beyond nicest? Right. This is. I mean, I, 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 I think up. we have an answer for that, right? I mean, today he said Wi-Fi. Right. Right. So he's, if he can get the range extended, which involves adding an extra set of fuel tanks, which they're working on. Saving Airbus is sort of working on for the 100 series, A220-100. They're working on extra fuel tanks that help the uh, Bizjet version of it. Which is just called the A220, but they spell out 220. Um, so you know that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that lets that have, I think he said, a 5,700 nautical mile range, which is absurd. I thought it was 4,500. The ACJ version, the Bizjet version, they were getting up, pushing up to 5,700. Oh, okay. But this one's like, trying to get more. Uh, what Nealman wants is 4,000, and the difference between the 3,400 that they can do today, you know, whatever spec line item, whatever, not actual, but that's what the uh, pamphlet sheet says. Uh, between 3,400 and 4,000, plus putting in lie flat seats so you actually get a little better range than you might otherwise with slightly lower density, uh, he sees that as the key to launching service to South America. And that gets to be a super interesting, but then you, you put flatbeds on. And yeah. so you got nice, nicer, and nicest when you, you know, you've got the superlative in there. Like, how, how do you then add something else and still make it work? I'm just. Yeah, nicer is. Maybe just call it nicest, right? Because if they're just swapping out the recliners for lay flats, like, yeah. you know. Maybe we call it super nice. Super nicest? Yeah, super nicest. 
Uh, Silver Diamond? No, that probably wouldn't fit. They probably um, don't even need a description if it's lay flat, it's lay flat like. Yeah. Um, so I, I know where I'd want to be sitting on a seven hour flight. Yes. You mean laying down? Yes. Yes. Sleeping. <laughs> Ideally. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, beyond those things, which I really do think the the large premium cab that they're going for, but trying to sell it really not at a huge premium is going to be a very interesting play. Um, and to Chris's point earlier, I think other than that is a pretty standard A220. No, no IFE, no entertainment system on board, uh, no connectivity to start, but they are going to add that. Um, he said hopefully within a few months of when they start flying, and when that happens, they'll get streaming entertainment as well. I, I did think for an LCC, that is a, you know, what is it, 30 to 31 inches, and it seemed like we're 30 inches only in the number of seats in the very, very back. Actually, that, it was, it, that's pretty roomy, pretty generous yeah. compared to like the Spirit or... Yeah, no, every, uh, was, everything was 30. Uh, the first row of economy is 31. Yeah. And then the others are all 30, but... If you look at that blast row, my God, that did not look comfortable. <laughs> Um, those people with breath class. You know what I missed? I missed the uh, the windows in the labs. Yeah. Well, they did the sort of, it's not SmartFlex, but uh, looks like a SmartFlex lab. Yeah. Uh, the labs are in the rear galley, essentially. They take the port side um, to the right up you're facing towards the back. But it's like the double lab, which can combine to make enough space for uh, passengers with reduced mobility. Yep. Uh, so, that's one of those things, as a passenger, I don't love it because I know it means a sort of cramped experience for me, but then I remember like the people who actually need that, and especially on longer flights where it's borderline cruel and inhumane to not give them a laboratory option, the people who need that need it way more than I need to like, you know, feel comfortable and spacious in a bathroom. It's like critical use to that versus just me being a jerk. So um, every now and then I try not to be a jerk, and of course doesn't believe me. But, um, what else changed? What else? I mean, you did just cut off the driver in front of us. Oh, hey, he's making that up. I didn't cut anyone off yet. Um, I will if I need to, though. No shame in that. Uh, what else? Uh, power, USB A and USB C for everybody. That was nice. Except I didn't like that the release road power outlets in coach, and then we showed up on the plane and there were power outlets in coach. Yeah, they are one ten volt power outlets in uh, the nicest seats, but not the back half of the plane. So that was. So you, you mentioned you kind of buried it. So I want to ask you a little. You said you're skeptical about the entire operation. Yeah. Elaborate. We've got a, we've got another 20 minutes left in this drive. Yeah. Um, 43. Uh, I think that the opportunities for only connecting secondary markets are going to run out very quickly, and whether it's because of that or other airlines try to start picking up more point-to-point traffic and some of these other you know areas. Right, like Allegiant's got a lot of deliveries coming. Spirit's got a lot of deliveries coming. But when you say that, but they're doing a different thing. Spirit's certainly doing a different thing. These guys, these guys, basically can keep all that connectivity, and they may only fly, you know, two frequencies a week. So, Spirit has routes like that too. No, but but Spirit generally connects larger cities. But this is they're not they're not doing markets. I mean, how many markets does Spirit have outside of Latrobe, Pennsylvania? But that's not the bulk of what they do. No, no, they, they, you're right. This is all that. Breeze is doing, whereas Spirit does some of that and some of the other. It's, but also, like I, I, you know, does New Orleans eventually become a hub that looks like Spirit's Fort Lauderdale? Right? If they grow enough, they're going to have to be able to do that. There's, there's not enough small markets that they can do eight city, you know, eight routes from each of eight cities and call that a network. Um, it's borderline where they're at today already, right? I think they got sixty routes across thirteen cities. So. Right. Um, 
something like that, or 60 weeks of flights across 13 cities. No, no, it's, there's a lot of that sort of already going on. And so eventually, like, you know, you, you can't connect. How many places can you fly to from Des Moines? How many places can you fly to from Charleston? How many places can you fly to from Norfolk? And some of them might be the transcons, right? If they, if Breeze shows up and puts its 220 against JetBlue on Norfolk, LA, and has these big front, the nicest big front seat for a very compelling price point and a lower cost base, and, 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 I think there's a lot of potential there. At the same time, like, A, as an airline gets older, its costs go up, and B, they, they, Nealman's I mean, I know it's also sort of just negotiated, but Nealman's already said in the public, like, we can't afford to pay people more money. We're gonna, you know, we we gotta keep our costs super low if any of this is gonna work. And I think part of that is because the yields are going to be a little more challenged than other airlines can extract from bigger markets. So with more with more passengers, right? I mean, the goal for Breeze is to get cheap, you know, sell it cheaper than the connection, but do it in a way that still makes money. And I think that when you're when you're working in that sort of environment, getting to uh, profitability is fine when you're not paying anything for your airplane. And he said uh, they only pay like they pay less than a hundred thousand dollars a month for their Embraers. That's ten percent, less than ten percent of their costs is the, is on those. Versus, you know, the A two twenties are going to be way more expensive, right? Um, at sort of every level. So that's going to be an issue. Um, so that's. I know. Will it work? At least for a while, yeah. They got two hundred and something million dollars still in the bank, and they've already got the first million planes financed. So they got plenty of run. Beating their, beating their chest about that they'd be shocked if they didn't take the next forty options. Yeah, well, a little chest beating. He also said if they started selling the five hundred, to convert them more or less. So, right. I mean, but it's yeah. kind of an interesting strategy, right? Where Allegiance solidly is about taking second and third tier cities and connecting them with vacation spots. Yeah. Whether that's Arizona, Las Vegas, Southern California, or, or owning or Florida, this isn't the same thing, right? I mean, you're not you in, in their network. The base that they have right now, well, Norfolk isn't necessarily isn't that. No. Charleston, I would had, wouldn't. I mean, yes, a little to bit. some extent, a little bit, but it's not certainly the draw of Florida, or obviously, or Snowbird uh, location. It's like, not Myrtle Beach, like Myrtle Beach, or or uh, or Arizona, or Arizona, yeah. and New Orleans, yes. I think to the extent in Tampa, but it's they're, they're not solidly just about connecting. They're not doing the same thing as Allegiant. It's not strictly, but one of the things that they're doing that's very similar, and uh, Lucas Johnson, the chief commercial officer, came from Allegiant. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, listen, the airline industry is very, uh, I'm not say inbred, but it's, people move around a lot within it and get around, right? You, yeah. get, you get a lot of that crossover. So there's a lot of that happening. Um, he was the one who was like freaking out that they were going to actually sell premium seats. But then, I mean, I even heard him like, you know, saying afterwards to, to David, like, how are we going to do this? Yeah. He's like, yeah, there's a little bit of God, I hope this works. Yeah. Um, but his, you know, one of the things Allegiant does have a decent sized market of, and that Breeze talked about in the QA today, was second homeowners. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, they, you know, you know, I don't think this is really a thing, but if people realize that they can fly back and forth between their homes for only, you know, $100, they'll buy a second home. I've never met anybody that the decision on whether to buy a home or not was like how much it was going to cost to fly there. But, but I mean, if you have the route, right, that, you know, if we were buying the home and there's a nonstop market versus a connecting market, like, yeah, you know, it could make sense on, on if that's, you know, after you did all the other listings. Yeah, I, I think it certainly helps them sell seats to the people who bought the second home. I'm not sure it drives the decision to buy the second home, I guess, yeah. where I'm going. But yeah, it, it absolutely has to help the business model. I, there's a lot of things, but Allegiant actually has a surprisingly large percentage of its traffic that is uh, 
snowbirds that have the second house. So, or if you sort of go back and forth. So, I do think that that'll be part of it. It's so there's a, there's a lot of different things that are all going to contribute to it. The question is, you know, John Ostrower today tweeted uh, that it was DC's breeze that's trying to be both Allegiant and Alaska Airlines at the same time, and as in part because of the nicest that sort of front cabin. I think neither of those quite applies, but I sort of get where he's coming from in terms of how many different things can one airline do, right? You've got two fleets that near the trick shall meet, basically. You've got all sorts of interesting challenges there, so just in sort of business models and everything else. So that's why I'm skeptical, um, bringing it full circle. Uh, so should they have gone into New Haven? Hey, <laughs> I'm... How about that? You know, maybe if uh, the feds had granted that... Uh, the subsidies for the operation, yeah. they would have been the second ship to show up. Uh, but as it is, Avella seems happy to do that themselves. Uh, speaking of, though, I think that's next week at the inaugurals. Uh, yeah, November 4th, is it? Something like that, yeah. Did you see they added already a, like, six or, a fifth or a sixth route, I think, over the weekend? It was, uh, Fort Myers? Fort Myers. There was one other. They, they increased frequencies for next year already. Fort yeah. Myers getting more. Doesn't surprise me. There's. I mean, Florida's like the, the endless bucket of demand, right? Right. Like, yeah. Throw planes to Florida, people will fly. And if you can do it relatively you know, on a cheap fare and yeah. it's nonstop, every, you know, people will rearrange their schedules to make that work. So, um, not too much worry there. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see though. I uh, can't do the inaugural, I got on a different trip. But uh, that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, Have you heard anything about it? Have you sent any notices out about it? I've heard much about it. Have you? Uh, no. Um, I mean, I was just going to buy a ticket, but I didn't. Um, other crazy secondary market inaugurals, aha, aha, take on me, uh, had their inaugural last week, last weekend, they did Reno to Pasco Tri-Cities, um, 40% load factor, and the wrong livery on the plane, yes, the, the, one that the old express jet livery yeah. there, that's apparently not, the one that they repainted wasn't quite ready yet, that's not quite sold to, what is it, Juju Island or something, yeah. or it's not quite the traffic density lot, no. Reno to Pasco Cities, no, um, still 40% for the inaugural, hey, you know. Uh, I don't think I also don't think they worked really hard to try to get like you know giveaway seats and get people on board. So um, not too surprising there either. Um, anything else interesting about the breeze stuff that you guys want to talk about? If not, I want to change topics and just talk about American Airlines real quick because oh, and maybe even Marriott a little because there's some point stuff happening that's kind of crazy. Um, next topic. Next topic. Exactly. May lean on you a little heavier here. All right, because you know more about it than I do. Um, American Airlines is changing elite qualifying for the Advantage program starting for next year. Yeah. And at first blush, I got to say, I mostly seem to like it. I think I do. Um, I haven't had a good chance to dig deep into it. But basically, they're getting away from elite qualifying dollars and miles and points and all that stuff. And it just, it just points or segments, I should they're getting away from it, but they're yeah. keeping points. Um, you earn points for flying. You earn points for credit card spend. You earn points with partners. Basically, any point you earn is now going to be called a loyalty point. And if you get enough loyalty points, you get status. So the number required goes up, but in many ways, especially with credit card spend now counting, earning gets to be a little easier, it seems like. I think there's probably some question around, because EQMs used to be distance-based and now they're gonna to switch to revenue-based because they're tied to reward points, um, whether that's good news or bad news, and who's actually you know getting the rewards and getting the, the value out of that, but and they obviously raised uh, they the raised all the thresholds too. So it went from sort of what twenty five 
50, 75, 100. was it 100 or 120? 120. I thought they did at one point, but now it's, it's like 30. 30, 75, 125, and 200. Yeah, so 200,000 royalty points, points get you executive platinum. Um, but also, if you want, and that, so executive platinum gets you your priority, whatever, your short haul upgrades, all that stuff. But it doesn't get you system-wise. It, it, it yeah. doesn't get you the full status experience. And that, that's something that they've been kind of working towards, right? Because they introduced those elite qualifying rewards or elite choice rewards, as they called it. That was like late last year where you could kind of pick your your selection of, of elite benefits from a menu. You didn't have to do system-wise. Obviously, so many of us love our system-wise. But, you know, if you want bonus miles or advantage, uh, you know, extra qualifying stuff for next year, uh, Apple stuff class, you can do that. Now, obviously, that's coming to our new program. And with the new program, you need 30 segments uh, on American or its partners uh, to, to hit, to unlock those loyalty, those, those benefits in addition to the 200,000 that you need for top tier status. Yeah. So, One thing that was interesting to me is award flights count. So if you are taking an award flight on American, uh, it will count. It has to be AA issued, so 001 ticket stock. Uh, but if it if it's AA issued, you can you can uh, qualify for those loyalty benefits. Um, so I can fly thirty segments, thirty DC uh, Boston shuttles, you know, yeah. two, two days straight, you know, just hit the <laughs> shuttle and yes, you would you would qualify. Yeah, you would qualify for. What do you think the impact? I mean, straight. as an EP member, uh, I'm concerned about the devaluation of those points and those miles, and then they just the swarms of new EPs and well, high value, you know high value customers are going to be now competing for the same for the same thing that I'm still legitimately flying for. You know, there is that. Yeah, I I'm, I think there are certainly going to be some people that figure out a way to churn credit cards, yeah. spend, and get the status that way. You're not going to be fighting with those people for EVIPs, right? You're not going to be fighting those with them for system-wise, necessarily, unless they also uh, do 30 segments. So, you know, you call it basically uh, AA Gold plus churn, <laughs> executive platinum, right? You get your 30 segments plus a couple hundred thousand dollars in credit card spend. Um, yeah, but if you really wanted to, you could spend, as I said, you know, two, three days to hit the yeah. shuttle a few times. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess, Chris, to, my point, to your point, though, you said, you know, what the true, the real high-value spend flyers are, and I'm going to counter that with someone spending $200,000 a year on a co-branding credit card is worth a hell of a lot of money to American Airlines. So yeah. that is a very high-value customer. It's not how you or I would chase status, but that is, a, and actually it is. That's how I usually get my Mosaic status through credit cards. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, I mean, am I, am I a good value to JetBlue? But I like it's interesting, so. right? I, I was speaking to Heather Sam, who's the who's the managing director now with with Rick Rick, Rick uh, Elise leaving, uh, and she was saying that this this makes sense for them. They want their co branded, you know, they want their co branded card at the top of your wallet. Yeah. So I mean, if, if this is the way to do it, and, and they're obviously pre selling boatload of points to the city and Barclays, like you know, let the power be to them. Well, and the other thing, and I think you mentioned this earlier when we were talking about this morning on the way over to Airbus, is it's not just Barclays and. Yeah, um, it's not just Barclays and City. It's not just the credit cards. It's all of the points partners yeah. now potentially offer you a route to status. Yeah. Whereas you know everybody else, I mean, all the other programs, you're, you, it doesn't, right? Like if I credit rental cars to an airline program, I'm gonna pick maybe I pick a different one. Except oh wait, yeah. you know at 500 points a pop or 250 points a pop, like that actually starts to add up for elite status at some point. So. Um, that's uh, another place where the value, certainly to the airline, because they think they'll sell more to partners, increases. Um, and I think American can use that as a way to justify to the partners that there's increased value yeah. in being a partner with them and favoring American over potentially other airlines for programs that have you know 
don't necessarily need to be exclusive. Well, we'll have to see, right? Because they, they obviously didn't go on the record saying, you know, we're sell, we're selling our loyalty points to our partners and stuff. So it'll be interesting to follow. I mean, it, it, it's more kind of, you know, what, what a lot of us are thinking, sure. you know, how it's working. But I, I imagine, it, right, like, it would make sense that they, that they could, you know, kind of brand another currency and be like, you know, you want to be a preferred partner with us. We, we see United doing it with the way that they award uh, their premier qualifying points just within their own Star Alliance. They have their preferred, you know, Delta has their preferred airlines. Like, you know, America's taking that to another level here, just, you know, which, which we'll see, you know, how will it work with Fast Bank, right? That used to be a great way to earn American miles. Will those convert one to one? Like, you know, maybe they'll link a deal that'll, that'll, that'll make it. And yeah, for me, I'll put all my money in a bank account if, if that's all it requires to earn, you know, EP status. Yeah. That 30 seconds. But you've made it clear you're just going to fly the shuttle all day every yes, day. Yes. So you get there. Um, no, it's, if it's nothing else, I like the fact that they're trying something different at this point. Like, I, I get that there's, it's, you know, there's going to be winners and losers. Anybody's going to be able to say, this is how I would, you know, all of a sudden my old spend habits yeah. either got me upgraded or downgraded. And so, um, you know, there's always that sort of churn and angst and, uh, concern with any change like this. Obviously the airline, the airline should have the data of how many people are really going to be affected in which ones they care more about. Uh, and you'd hope they would make these changes uh, if it was the wrong group getting affected negatively. But I, I do find the program, the new program rules very intriguing. They also, just for grins, gave everybody another year of status also. Yeah. Like buried that in the press release. Um, not really buried, I mean, it was up there. But in addition to everything else, like all of a sudden I have status for another year and... Well, they're not extending your status. It's, it's two months. I thought it was through... Until the new membership, uh, till the new membership year starts, which is which is March first. Oh, did I misread the release? I, 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 I sat with this release. I poured over the details. Okay. You don't need to read it while we're driving, though. Okay, cool. fine. Um, I misunderstood that. So they're only extending it two months. Two months. So basically, because the, the membership year, the program year is changing. Okay. The new program. So qualifying will be from March first until February twenty eighth or twenty ninth of the following year. So to bridge the gap between the qualifying year, which is currently ending December thirty first, to the new one. They're giving you two more months of status, and they'll also let you double dip. So in January and February, what you earn will count towards last year's EQM, EQD, EQ, EQS, and to loyalty points with those gotcha. months. Okay. okay. I saw extended, and I thought I saw, I thought through 2020. I would have made a bigger yeah. deal of that. Yeah, it must have been through February 2022, yeah. and I missed yeah. the February yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. Um, that makes more sense. Okay. Um, okay, so then good. My gold status will finally run out, and I don't have to worry about it. Um, I definitely didn't get 30,000 points this year, um, no matter how you calculate them. So... Uh, anything else before we wrap this up of interest in the points programs? I mean, Marriott's world? saying bye to their no, yeah. yeah, it's a hotel. I mean, I forget about hotels. Yeah, I like yeah. Sometimes I, <laughs> until I need a hotel, I forget about them. And then yeah. when I need it, it's like, oh crap, it's actually a hundred thousand points. Like I don't have that. Or huh. oh, hundred thousand points. That must be a very uh, low end property in the Radisson program. <laughs> um, yeah, Marriott. So Marriott's getting rid of award charts. I. I remember Delta Scott rid of award charts first, and United sort of has since, and American probably will eventually. All right, JetBlue and Southwest don't have them, but sort of have semi-fixed value of what their points are. Um, I I know when Delta got rid of it, there was a lot of angst. Some of it was for me, yeah. um, especially around partner rewards. Hotels don't really have partner rewards because they're you know they have all their brands, but none of them are partners; yeah. they're all internal. So you don't have to worry about that as much in terms of you know is a point worth a penny or half a penny or two dollars um, right somewhere in that range and so I I'm not quite as worried about it from that perspective I can certainly understand 
concern about sweet spots, right? If you end up in the sort of Hilton world where points are just a half cent each, except in very, very, very rare circumstances, yeah. you lose the option to optimize and exploit and, you know, really get that supreme value from the program. At the same time, I don't really optimize hotel programs, so I don't care. <laughs> um, but I certainly understand why people do. Yeah. I think one nice thing there is still is the fifth night free on redemption. So if, if you're you know, staying for a while, you, you obviously want to do that. Make your bookings before March. You have like six months to make those bookings. So yeah. you know, if you're planning for a Bora or something, you know, make, make it now. Yeah. And the fifth night free is staying even after the charts change? Or the no charts yeah. takes effect? Yeah. Yeah. So not the end of the world. Um, I mean, there's plenty of people that have hated Bonvoy basically since it was launched because it's been an inconsistent and annoying and terrible program to work with. Um, I've certainly had my levels of frustration, but also some good successes with it. Um, but Me personally, I'm sticking with Hyatt. That's, yeah. that's, they're easy, they're, they're fair, not a big footprint, but when you find nice ones, it's, it's the best way to say. Yeah, footprint's my problem. Yeah. Um, ironically, my next trip, I actually had the choice between a courtyard and a Hyatt place, I think. Um, like across the street from yeah. each other in San Juan, and I was like, eh, I don't know, which one charges, which one's going to charge me a lower resort fee exactly. for being in like a random part of town that is definitely not a resort on a beach, yeah. um, and less for parking. Actually, I think I may switch to the Hyatt. I think I booked the courtyard. I may switch to the Hyatt just because it's self parking instead of valet, and I don't want to deal with that. So, welcome to Florida. Um, Thank you. We've now crossed the border. There's a photo op in the Welcome Center. You should not stop here on the side of the road and take pictures under the giant Welcome to Florida sign. It's like Disney World. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Uh, I, thought, I mean, I did think there was the little announcement of the uh, CRJ 550 operating the, the new hourly, what, new work oh, to uh, re- the reannouncement. Shuttle, yeah. yeah a little United did announce again. They, they announced this in June at their big order event also. They really are going with all business or all claims will have a first class cabin in and out of New York. And that's going to apply to yeah. LaGuardia, JFK, and Newark. As part of that, uh, Newark to DCA is going to go up to 18 daily, basically hourly service from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Then LaGuardia to Dulles is going to be nine times a day, and Newark to Dulles is going to be five times a day which is adds up to an absurd number of flights between the New York and DC area in a market that really should be served by high-speed trains. You um, need to capture a lot of carbon. You blame, you blame uh, the FAA for that one. Well, right, so this is the, what it comes down to, you know, to Zach's point, you blame the FAA, that's uh, slots. There's LaGuardia, Newark, and DCA all have very strict uh, controls about slot usage, takeoff and landing slots, and if you don't use them, you lose them. And for the last, since March of 2020 or something like that, February 2020, there was a waiver in place because the market didn't exist, and now domestically the market has theoretically recovered, right? We're in the 80 to 90 percent of uh, range. Some airlines are back up to 100 percent. It's or even above. And so there is an argument that you got to use them, and if you can't, someone else should. And, you know, United doesn't want to give those slots to Spirit. United is still pitching the Spirit's got its 16, you know, won the lawsuit that they have to give 16 more slots. at, or not give up, but reissue 16 slots in Newark and let either Spirit or probably, probably Spirit, but maybe JetBlue or another LCC sort of win those slots and start operating more in peak times in the afternoons. So um, it's uh, it's going to be fun. But yes, there's some, when you hear United talk about how they're taking carbon emissions so seriously and then also 
uh, launching all these flights in a market that definitely doesn't support that level yeah. of traffic. It's a little hard to take them seriously. Um, I guess the only good news is they're not putting the boom supersonic on it. No, not yet. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, um, I've run out of topics to talk about. I'm sure there's other stuff that's happened in the last week uh, that would be interesting and useful, but at some point I got to focus on getting us to the airport. So, uh, on that note, thank you, Zach. You're at Zach Grip underscore yeah, underscore Zach Grip. underscore Zach Grip. Yes. Uh-huh. Put the F- and it's double F at the end. Yes. Uh, Chris, you're on Twitter at Aircon. At Aircon. Uh, same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Ben, are you on Twitter? I'm barely on Twitter. Okay. Barely uh, on the podcast, too, but appreciate you chiming in there. He's on, <laughs> you can find him on Check 6. He's, he was on loan. Yeah. Um, you can follow the Dots, Lines, and Destinations podcast on Twitter at Dots, Lines, or more.spoilerlines.com. Uh, feel free to leave us a comment. Uh, from time to time, we offer extra content and early access to episodes for our Patreon supporters. This week, we are not doing that because that would involve a whole lot of extra coordination on my part while driving 82 miles an hour, uh, and that's a bad idea. So, uh, But next week, you'll get that. Uh, but you can find the details on our Patreon on our website, or I guess, yeah, just on our website. Uh, and other than that, uh, take care. Have a great trip.